Thank you, Jesus. Mark chapter 16. Thank you. Verse number 15. Familiar passage of Scripture. And Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There's a lot of people that don't believe that. There are a lot of people that are taught that that particular scripture does not mean what it just said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Verse number 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following, amen. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Where are the signs and the wonders? So I want to entitle this this morning with that question. To me, it's a rhetorical question. I hope to share that with you here this morning. Where are the signs and the wonders? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the Spirit of God that is here today. Thank you for so many that are here. Pray that, pray that the Word of God is a great blessing. Pray that those that could not be here today, that your healing virtue and touch and strength would be upon them. And Father, we pray for understanding, for truth, for divine illumination to enter into the dark places the recesses of human understanding, the logic. We pray for the light to turn on. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If I could get just a little bit more monitor, I don't have to wrestle with that frog in my throat. This particular passage of Scripture, thank you, this particular passage of Scripture that I read in your hearing is a famous theological passage of Scripture that is commonly known as the Great Commission. It is also recorded in Matthew chapter number 28, and we understand that passage very well, and then it is also recorded in Luke chapter number 24, 
in every one of these accounts, essentially, it is saying that there is a starting point, which would be Jerusalem, and that the gospel is to be preached throughout the world. They don't all say it word for word, but essentially that is what they're all saying. When you get to Mark, he has more of a description about what truly takes place in the book of Acts than Matthew or Luke. And I want to tell you, I think it's a mistake for any group of people, regardless of denomination or, or background or belief or exposure or whatever the case may be, to only focus on one of the Great Commissions. Whether it's Luke, who is also the author of the book of Acts, and there's a seamless transition from the Gospel of Luke into the book of Acts. Or whether it's the book of Matthew, and there's some entire denominations that represent over a billion people in the world today that have focused on Matthew's version, um, specifically where Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them to go into all the world and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But that is not the only account in the Great Commission that talks about baptism, but yet that is the one that is preferred for their doctrine, dogmas, and liturgies that helps to formulate their movement. I think if you're going to be a genuine and true student of the Word of God, that you need to look at all the particular passages that address a particular subject, and you need to study all of them, not just one of them. But Mark is the most descriptive of all of the Great Commissions. He says, go ye into all the world. This is Jesus speaking. It's read in my Bible. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. I want to start at the outset of this by telling you that I believe that there still are signs and wonders in the earth today. I really believe that. In fact, I do not believe that you can be biblically accurate or spiritually accurate and not believe that the supernatural is alive and well in the 21st century. There are many theologically in our world today that do not believe 
in the operation of the supernatural. Now, without getting too deep into this, because it is a fascinating study, and I, I am fascinated with this. I love talking about church history. And somebody, um, you don't have to go very far, maybe even across the street and bump into people. Maybe there's even people here today that have been taught and raised, and maybe for generations your family was part of a denomination and uh, type of a, a particular persuasion. And I'm not being critical of that this morning. I'm not throwing rocks at that here this morning. But we have to understand where denominations originated and where different theological strains of interpretation came from without, without really embracing that is, is to keep your, hand, keep your head buried in the sand and not really understand that there is a larger understanding to that that will help you, not hurt you. Somebody said amen. For example, over 90% of the denominations that are in the United States today are a result of being a derivative or a byproduct of what is known as the Reformation period, the Reformation. The Reformation was not even in existence until the 15th century with a monk by the name of Martin Luther that was translating uh, the Word of God from Latin into German. And as he was translating the Bible from Latin into German, he was in Wittenberg, Germany at the time. And as he was translating the Word of God, he began to see nuances in the Word of God that the Catholic Church was, was, had made up. They had made up things and inserted things and left out in, entire passages that they weren't even recognizing and obeying. And, and Martin Luther had a light go off, and he said, we're not even, we're not even believing this stuff. It's, it appears that we're saved by, by faith. We're saved by faith according to the Word of God. And that was, that was, his, great, that was great, his great understanding of truth. And it was, it was more than he'd ever been exposed to. And it was so moving for him personally that it caused him to put together a list of spiritual observations and scriptural observations that were found in the Word of God. Nailed them on the door of the Catholic Church and said, I'm out of here. And it started the reformation. It started a religious revolution. It just so happened that King Frederick II was in power in Germany and was at odds with the Pope because they demanded that all of the nations in Europe uh, pay tithes. They, they levied certain fees against all the nations of Europe, and if they didn't pay up, if they didn't pony up, then the Vatican had one of the most powerful armies in Europe, and they would send their armies to put pressure upon those particular nations. But King Frederick II being who he was, he said, you just come on, come on, we're ready for you. And they didn't want to tangle with King Frederick II. And so he gave Martin Luther asylum. Otherwise, him being excommunicated, there was a price on his head. And so Martin Luther was allowed to live and continued to influence many, many other people in Europe. And we began to see people that began to leave the Catholic Church like Martin Luther did. A man by the name of John Knox that became the father of the Presbyterians. The Wesley brothers in England that became the father of the Methodists. A guy by the name of Swedenborg. A man by the name of Zwingli. 
you had all these mainline denominations that began to solidify with men that began to leave the Catholic Church. So that the year of 1900 in America, there were only nine denominations in America. And outside of the Catholic Church, and maybe a few others, such as the Episcopalian Church, all of them were a derivative of what was started by Martin Luther. And so that existed for many years. And then World War I, and then going into World War II, and, and a lot of the, the millions of soldiers that returned from America did not want to go to the steeples and the stained glass churches of their parents. And so they started, they splintered off of all of the mainline denominations and started the non-denominational. Why is this important? Because in about five minutes, you need to understand where all these groups came from. The non-denominational movement is a sociological phenomenon. It did not exist before World War II. But after World War II and people began to settle with the GI Bill and buy their own homes and start raising families that did not want to go to what they considered to be the fuddy-duddy denominational churches of their mom and dad. So they started their own non-denominational churches, which are some of the largest churches in America today. But then you had another generation that, that was raised and said, we don't want to be in the non-denominational churches of our mom and dad. So now we're going to be interdenomination or we're going to just be a hybrid. And with every succession, it moved further and further and further from the original theological understanding that, left, that caused those people to leave the Catholic Church. So today... You've got millions and millions of people that are sitting in churches and they don't really have any idea theologically what they believe about God. They only know they may have some doctors that went to seminary. They may have some, even some pastors that went to seminary and studied these things and they put great stock in what their pastor says or great stock in what some doctor says. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to study this book for yourself. We're living in a day and an hour where you should trust no man. You should get into that Bible and find out what the Bible says about being saved. Somebody clap your hands and shout with a voice of triumph. Jesus said, study the scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life. And so what's happened is there are entire movements that are in the world today that do not believe in the operation of the supernatural. They believe it's hocus pocus. Or worse yet, they think it's of the devil. That's a very dangerous proposition if I understand the blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. Because the blaspheme of the Holy Ghost is to attribute a work of God to the devil. There are entire movements that believe that the supernatural has ceased many, many years ago. And they all have the exact same explanation. We're going to review this here for several minutes. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. You have to understand something which is taking place here. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 
and 1 Corinthians 14 are what we consider theologically parenthetical. It means that that is a grouping, that is a grouping of chapters that is essentially talking about the exact same subject. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, we have the introduction to the gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, we have the qualifying or the spirit behind the gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, there is a breaking down and an explanation of the vocal gifts. Now, there are nine gifts. I do not believe, this is just my theological, exercising my, my theological expertise. I do not believe that the gifts are the exact same thing as the signs that we read in Mark chapter number 16. I'm going to explain all this here today. But of course, if you don't believe one, you're going to dismiss the other. It doesn't make any difference. But in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, this is largely a pagan church. It is not Jewish. The church at Corinth was not largely Jewish. It was largely ex-Gentile. These were people that were pagans. These were people that were heathens. These were people that were adulterers, fornicators, ex-homosexuals, ex-effeminate, ex-robbers, thieves, drunks, and such were some of you. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, the Apostle Paul is breaking down the nine spiritual gifts. And there are three knowledge gifts, there are three vocal gifts, and there are three power gifts. But the giftedness that Paul begins to explain is for the local church, it's for the body. It is not, in essence, it is not the exact same thing that we read in Mark chapter number 16. This is specifically for the local church. Now, there are nine gifts and there are nine fruits. And every once in a while, somebody gets caught up in this gift stuff and they're saying, Pastor, I believe I've got the gift of suspicion. Really? we got a little office in the back where we need to talk about your gift. Just having fun. But here's the deal. It is, you have to understand, according to apostolic procedure and the way that the Spirit of God works in your life, that God is more interested in producing character in your life than he is in producing giftedness. Now, see, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm in a, can I lay all the cards on the table here today? I'm not here to offend anybody, but I'm an apostolic preacher. I'm here to talk about truth. I'm here to take what's going on in our great culture and break it down according to the Word of God and break it down according to the Spirit of God so that when you leave here today, you're going to understand without a shadow of a doubt the distinction and the difference of this powerful work of God that's in the earth in the 21st century. Can somebody clap your hands and give God the praise? The reason why everybody that believes in the operation of the supernatural is painted with the broad brush is because of the abuse and the false theology that goes along with people. They're called charismatics. 
charismatic church as a group, and that's, that's, that is painting them with a broad brush. But, honey, if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, don't try to tell me you're a prophet. Don't try to tell me you're an apostle. You, if you have not gone down in the name of Jesus and come up with the power of the Almighty, my God, somebody help me preach right now. Don't try to tell me you got a bunch of baloney gifts. That's what's wrong with our world today. But I'm telling you that the hour is that God's going to start separating this. And the people with the real power, the people with the real authority. Somebody go ahead and give him praise. The charismatic possesses all about the non-denominational are just all about the word. And the Catholic is all about the man. There's only one group of people that goes beyond them all and goes all the way back to the beginning in an upper room. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph and give God the praise. We're not filled with pride and arrogance but I'm proud to be a part of the kingdom. <laughs> this is the greatest thing that ever happened to a mortal. Clap your hands and give God the praise. The government is not in control. Congress is not in control. My God, the White House is not in control. God is in control. Corinthians chapter number 12, what was happening with this church, it was largely Gentile. They were all first generation apostolic. The first century church did not know a multiplicity of doctrines and dogmas. It was only one spiritual movement in the earth, and it was all apostolic by definition. They were Pentecostal in experience and apostolic in doctrine. And they were virtually unstoppable and brought the Roman Empire to its knees. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul was breaking down being the spiritual father of that church. He was the one that brought the gospel to Corinth in Acts chapter number 18. He's breaking down for them the various spiritual gifts. There's three knowledge gifts. There's the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. That is not for people on the job, that's for people in the body. think you're a quack. That doesn't mean you can't pray for them. That doesn't mean you can't give them something, but you just need to be careful. Then there's three power gifts. There's the gift of healing, the gift of faith, and the working of miracles. God has already given to every man a measure of faith, but this is a superimposed level of faith 
to get something done in a particular situation or a church service or a situation that you cannot get to on your own. It's a God thing. And then you have three vocal gifts. Speaking in tongues, which is not the speaking of tongues that took place in Acts chapter 2. It's speaking in tongues when the church comes together as a body. And then you have the interpretation of that message that was given in tongues. And then the gift of prophecy. You have to understand that the church at Corinth was caught up in personalities. They were, they were spiritually immature. One said, I'm a Paul. One said, I'm a Cephas. A couple other guys. Paul said, you may have a 10,000 instructors, but you only have one spiritual father. And then they also, in a gathering such as this, where the church actually came together, everybody was trying to operate in their gift. And the Apostle Paul was trying to bring order and decency and understanding to their giftedness. Listen, there's people in this church that are incredibly gifted to God. I am not the only one that has spiritual gifts in this church. But see, the gifts work by love. And so God is trying to get us to a certain level of spiritual maturity so that we can be awakened to our giftedness. And that is not, that that's God then that's God saying, come on, let's get to the next level. Let's, let's, let's refine that gift. And then there's an emergence of another gift. Because the Bible said he gives severally. See, too many people in America, and things are getting ready to change. Okay, I already, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already way out here. I'm just waiting on some of us. But I'm already telling you this thing's fixing to change. Like you got more spiritual gifts than you're willing to understand, but you're you're afraid of the price tag. You don't understand the built into the price tag is going to be a level of relationship that you never dreamed of, and you said you're going to wake up one day and say, "Where have I been?" I've been settling for peanuts when God had prophecy for me. I've been settling with this right down here, and here God wants. But God's wanting us to get patience and love and temperance. Oh, come on, somebody, brotherly kindness. God's waiting for us to grow up so he can start using us and blow your mind and blow the mind of everybody around. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Hallelujah. I need water. The frog is thirsty. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is describing these gifts. But in 1 Corinthians 13, the fulcrum between 12 and 14. Let's go there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 1. Apostle Paul, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that word charity comes from the Greek word agapo. There's three types of love. There's eros, filio, and agapo. 
Agapo is the love of God. It is the love of choice. Filio is brotherly love. Eros is erotic love. He says, though I'm used with tongues and have not agape, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So now we're seeing he's qualifying for this church that he loves dearly. He's, he's, you're going to see before this is over that when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, forbid not to speak in tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than y'all. But see, some people that get more degrees than a thermometer are saying, okay, it says right there, man. It says right there. And they don't understand contextually the parenthetical revelation or understanding that the apostle is actually bringing to this local church. He's not saying don't speak in tongues. But he's saying get full of the love of God because the gifts work by love. I don't hear, I hear everybody saying I want a gift. Pastor, I want to be used. I want a gift. I don't hear anybody saying I need more love. I need more of the spirit. I need more God. Come on, somebody. What we need in this hour is we need more God. Look at your neighbor and say, did you hear that? Look at verse number two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, agape, I am nothing. Corinth was an immature church. They thought that, man, God, God sure used me. out, everybody. I've arrived. <laughs> Listen, God knows, knows how to put your beak in the dirt. And that's not to destroy you. That's to continue to use you. So I think, I think you get the point that chapter number 13 is qualifying. Make sure the spirit is right. Look at verse number four. This is what the love of God, agape, charity. These are the qualities of charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. There's been some times in my walk with God where God's had to get the puff out. And that's because he loves me. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Man, I'm telling you, the apostle is laying the axe to the root of the tree. He's making sure there's no personality attached to the gifts. There's no flesh. There's no fleshly motive. There's no wrong. 
And I thank God for this. Rejoice is not in iniquity. You hear something evil about somebody. Hey, you hear about so you know. <laughs> when somebody starts telling me this, I'm looking for the off button. You know, I hate to be the one to tell you about this, but did you hear about Sister uh, Pastor? Are you still there? There's some people that are dirt collectors. Someone said, praise the Lord out there. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Instead of smiling when people fall, we ought to shout when they pray through. You want to be using the gifts? Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails. But whether there, here's, here's where denominational theology gets off. Okay, we, we as supernaturally led understanding people, we understand that what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's qualifying the gifts. But look at this, charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, there shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. 99.9% of all denominational churches that do not believe in the operation of the supernatural theologically point to that scripture right there and said, we believe. We believe that all of the gifts ceased when that which is perfect has come. The question is, what is he talking about when he says, when that which is perfect has come? We believe that he's talking about Jesus Christ because in just the next few verses, he said that the gifts help us to see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Well, Jesus isn't here face to face. Jesus has not returned for the church. Jesus has not come back physically. And so the gifts and the operation of the Holy Ghost is operating in the church until he comes back. And then there's no more use for prophecy when he's here. There's no more use for speaking in tongues when I'm in the presence of God for eternity. Come on, somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Thank God for truth. Thank God you and I have an understanding. We're no better than any other people except for the name of Jesus Christ. But we have a recognition and an understanding about truth. They believe. The non-supernatural believing people believe that the perfection that was being talked about here was the completion of the canonization of the Word of God. 
preach, the book of Revelation was not even written until after AD 90. And so they believed that as soon as the 66 books of the Bible, or if we're talking about the Catholic Church, we're also including the Apocrypha, which is intertestamental writings. That as soon as the Bible was completely canonized and completely written, that the gifts were no longer needed. That is 100% patently false. Let's sift our hands and let's just talk to Jesus here for a few minutes and worship him and praise him and thank him for an understanding of truth. Come on, we give you praise. Come on, we give you praise and glory. Thankful for the moving and your indwelling spirit that is producing Christ in us, the hope of glory. Essentially, theologically, what I have just shared with you is exactly why they do not believe in the operation of the supernatural. They believe that we are mimicking supposedly what used to take place in the church, but we are mimicking either through emotionalism, some form of self-induced glossolalia, which is the Greek term for Greek term for speaking in tongues, but that we get all worked up emotionally and these kind of things just happen. I want to tell you it is folly. I want to tell you the body of Christ still needs the gifts. Interesting, they say that the fruits are still here. It's just the gifts that are gone. And why would you have the fruits, but you wouldn't have the gifts. Say you have to understand that the fruits represent the character of Jesus and the gifts represent the ministry of Jesus and the body is designed by God to heal itself. Whether, whether Regardless of what kind of situation we got going on in this church, whether it's failure, whether it's moral, whether it's this, that, and the other, there should be somebody that gets into the Holy Ghost and gets a word or feels direction, and they're not there to condemn. They're not there to drive people out. They're there to bring healing. They're there to bring somebody to a higher direction through the power and the operation of God. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. It is an operation of the Spirit, if you're truly gifted. There's some people that are really good at pointing out what's wrong with the body, but they have a hard time balancing it out. Typically, these are people that are control freaks that learn to do this, and really, if you strip it all away, and God knows what the real answer is, it's them trying to control the pain in their life. God has to heal people like that so they can truly become gifted of the Holy Ghost. And then they're a threat to hell, and they're an actual promise to the church. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. God wants to do that. God wants, God sees those hurt places. Come on, somebody, lift your voice like a trumpet and give him the praise. 
Where are the signs and wonders? They're still here. Essentially, if you had to break the word of God down into three great chapters of being used in the gifts or the operation of the supernatural or the operation of signs and wonders, you would have three main. There's lots of places, and this doesn't cover all of them, but there's three. One of them, the first one, is Moses and the nation of Israel in Egypt. Secondly, is the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And thirdly, is the church of the living God. Moses was called of God. The nation of Israel had enjoyed 430 years in Egyptian or in Egypt, and it became bondage. It didn't start out as bondage. It started out as goodwill, and it ended up as bondage. We enjoyed religious freedom for over 200 years in the United States. Things are changing. So the children of Israel began to cry out to God. They were the garbage collector and the the labor force of Egypt now. So Moses is trying to mind his own business on the backside of the desert, and then he sees a sight of a burning bush. He's drawn to this bush, has a conversation with God there. God wants to use him to bring his people out of Egyptian captivity. Moses was instructed by God. He said, throw your rod on the ground. You know the story. If you've been one of our Sunday school class, you know, we're going we're gonna to turn our Sunday school back on here in a little bit. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. I want to tell you what, the closer we get to starting, I've been cooped up in the house for 10 days. started talking to Jesus, and I thought, I need to go see that new building. Is that your mom? Welcome home. We love you. We've missed you. I might take a lap. I feel so good right now. Where's that in the Bible? 
Trust me, we'll find it. It's in there. Something about run through a troop, leap over a wall, stand up on a pew. This group right back here thinks you've been safe this whole day. You ain't none of you safe. I can walk with this microphone. Ain't nobody in this building safe. This is an apostolic church. We believe in this stuff. The Holy Ghost is moving. The Holy Ghost is working. The Holy Ghost wants to heal somebody today. The Holy Ghost wants to deliver somebody today. This is why this is going to be the fastest growing phenomena this world has ever seen. It's alive. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. God says, throw your rod on the ground. Turns into a serpent. God said, pick it up again. Put your hand inside your breast. Pulled it out and it was 100%. Pulled it out and it was all leprosy. Pulled it back in. Pulled it out it was all normal. God was trying to show him. That when we have this conversation with Pharaoh, that we're not just talking about some little request. I mean, there's potentially three million people that God intends to bring out. And if you know anything about the Word of God, God had miracles all the way from in Egypt all the way into the promised land, which a promised land is a type of heaven. It's a type of the completion of the journey, which means God did miracles, signs, and wonders while they were still in Egypt, and God did signs and wonders in the wilderness, and God led them all the way into the edge to, to be in houses they didn't build and cities they didn't build and, 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 and land they didn't domesticate and crops. and but Moses goes in, talks to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He said, let my people go on a three-day journey that they may worship God. And Pharaoh looks at Moses, says, I don't know who you think you are. Kind of wet behind the ears, come in here and talk like this. Moses just like, watch this, through his rod down and turned into a serpent. Pharaoh probably grinned, chuckled, said, you know, here comes Janus and Jambres, court magicians. All right? We got some guys on the payroll here. They can do a couple of abracadabra, Obi-Wan Kenobi, open sesame kind of deals. So Pharaoh snaps his fingers, and here comes the court magicians. But Moses threw down his rod, it turned into a serpent. They threw down their rod, and it turned into a serpent. Except that the serpent that was represented by Moses' rod, 
ate up all the other serpents. Moses did a miracle over here, and they did the exact same miracle, and he did a miracle over here, and, and, and Egypt did a miracle over here, and Moses did a miracle over here, and God said, that's it. Where's that scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Oh, I'm getting ready. I'm coming down the home stretch, and it's going to be bombastic, brother. It's going to be, I'm, my afterburners are just, they've been on cool this whole time, but I'm getting ready to fire this thing up. I'm going to tell you what, God was doing that to make a point. He's saying, you know what, the miracles may be the same right now. It's the message that's different. One miracle will keep you in chains. One miracle is going to bring you out of chains. It's the message. The message is we're getting out of here. And it's going to take blood. It's going to take water. And it's going to take spirit. Clap your hands and give him praise. These big, huge healing campaigns. I don't even want to start. And I was watching this video of this character. There's about 30 people on the platform, and he went like this, and all 30 of them knocked over. He was having so much fun, he went around this side, whoa, and he knocked them all over. Then he went in front of the audience, and they all started knocking over. I'm going to tell you, if you're not born again in water and spirit, I don't care if you hit the pavement. It's not the miracle, Brother Wokey. It's the message. This message will get us out of here. Somebody shout. Somebody give God the praise. Somebody give God the glory. If you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, which is part of the Great Commission, you are commanded to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost, which is the power of God. People doing all kinds of abracadabra little stuff. One of the greatest men of God I know made this statement. He says in those big, huge campaigns, when people are getting prayed for like that, the devil is trading the body for the soul. And so while they feel like they're getting prayed for, Satan tells his minions that when they're prayed for, just retreat. Release that person. That way they think that the salvation message that they have that went with that miracle is accurate. So he's able to trade the body for the soul. Honey, I'd rather go into heaven without an arm 
and get a new body on the other side. I'd rather have to pluck out. I'd rather get rid of my internet now. I'd rather get rid of the problem now. I'd rather cut my hand off now. I'd rather cut my foot off now. I'd rather go into eternity maimed and get a new. Oh, somebody shout with a voice of triumph. some people that just follow the miracle. I wonder where the miracle is. If this is the truth, where is the miracle? I'm here today to set the record straight. You need to put your glasses on and look a little different. The miracles are all over this place. What are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? See, you're looking for something to make you feel better. There's miracles all over this house. Come on, somebody. Nobody knows your story like you do. You're a miracle. I would have been back on a bar stool if it had not been for a cod that said, I'll not let go of him. I'll not give up on him. I'll not walk away from him. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. There's miracles all over this house. Go back to Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, please. And Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Next verse. He that believeth and is baptized. If you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, do not leave this building today. We have water over here. We have baptismal robes. We have fresh towels for you. You, know, you don't have to worry about any of that. But you have got to be baptized to be saved. I rebuke every lying spirit. I rebuke every lying devil. I rebuke every lying spirit from an incomplete doctrine and an incomplete dogma. This is the word of God. But he that believeth shall not be damned. Next verse. And these signs shall follow them that believe. This is not the gifts for the body. This is for the gifts that follow the preaching of the gospel. If you want to see miracles, start preaching the gospel. If you want to see miracles, start giving Bible studies. If you want to see the miraculous, start witnessing. If you want to see the miraculous, the reason why some of us ain't seeing it is because we ain't doing nothing. Come on, somebody shout. I'm telling you, it's time to come out of our pew and recognize there's a world that's looking for the power and the demonstration of an almighty God. Somebody shout. Somebody clap your hands. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give him glory. The miracles. The miracles are all in this house. 
What was the very first miracle that Jesus performed? The first miracle that Jesus performed was at a wedding where he changed the biological structure from water into the best wine. He was trying to set the pace. He was trying to set the tempo that I'm going to start this thing off with a a miracle that's going to change. You might have been a drug addict, but you're going to be a pastor. You might have been a has-been, but now you're going to be. You might have been, oh, come on, somebody. you got to get on board with this. The greatest miracles are yet to be seen by human eyes. Holy Ghost led me to an apostolic church 36 years ago. I was not looking for just a nice, well-dressed, well-mannered group of people that I could start hanging out with. I want to say this. For any one of you that say, I will do whatever I have to do to fit in, to be a part of this group, don't do it. Because you are betraying your own self. And the devil has got you to betray yourself every single day of the week for your life before you came to this place. You don't change to be a part of this. You you don't make the changes that you think you ought to do. You let God make those changes. You let God flip the light on. You let God flip the switch. You let God give you a revelation. You let God give you an understanding. And when you're all done, you become the greatest miracle. Your family, your parents, your siblings, anybody ever. Somebody stand to your feet and clap your hands and shout with a voice of triumph. You are a miracle. All right, you may be seated. Just trying to give some of you some hope. You're thinking, man, I thought this dude was sick. I did too, but when the anointing gets on me, I just don't care what I feel like. You need to listen up. Elder and Sister Sardis, the Walk Church, never told me to make one change. But the same spirit that was in them came inside me. And started making those changes. You don't do anything to fit in. If you were to take away the blood, you were to take away favor, you were to take away the Holy Ghost, you were to take away God's grace, you'd never have this group of people sitting in the same building with one another. There would be nothing to bring us together. There would be no commonality that any of us would have. But such were some of you. And we've been washed, but we've been sanctified, but we've been justified. It's a house of miracles. Right after I got saved, I 
I came down with hepatitis type B. I was a heavy metal rocker. Didn't have a car, didn't have a house. Was living out of cardboard boxes. And the bass player, the music director of the rock church, was an ex-rocker. He said, man, you can, you can stay on our couch to figure out what's going on. And while I was on that couch for a couple nights, I was diagnosed with having hepatitis type B. He said, man, I love you, but my wife's just going to have to find another place to live. And I said, man, that's fine. So I called the pastor. I, I said, Pat, this is going on. He said, hold on a little bit. Let's see what happens. There's an older widow in that church. She, uh, she had the whole back half of her house. She said, you know, a couple bedrooms back there. How do they ever go back there? But Brother Rick, is, a lot of people come and stay with me. She and that entire church nursing me back to health. And I got good enough to walk around. And I thought, man, I need to go get a job. I know I needed one because it's in the Bible. You know, job, J-O-B. Job. I thought, man, I need to go get my driver's license. My driver's license, I hadn't had a driver's license in at least three years because of three drunk driving convictions. Two were head-on collisions. Open container, contributing to minor, all kinds of stuff. Not glorying in my shame, just letting you know I'm a miracle. There are miracles all over this house. God's going to showcase them if you let him. I said, man, I need to go get a driver's license. Man, I was a little, I was a little paranoid because I knew I had a warrant out. You know what those nasty little things are, like warts. Well, these things don't go away. So I went to the Department of Motor Vehicles there on, uh, where's my wife? That was on Florin Road. Thank you. I'm looking around, and I'm seeing, all right, there's a guard there. You got to understand, people that have spent time where they shut the metal door, the steel door behind you, some of you out there, I know who you are. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. You walk into a place like that, you're counting how many people wearing your uniform. And you're finding out, can I make a clean break out of here? They got a window in the bathroom that I can fit out. I'm telling you the truth. So I walked up to the counter. Hi, what's your name? Rick Mayo. All right, Mr. Mayo. Give me a couple minutes here. All of a sudden, the printer started going. I thought, oh, no, here we go. If, I, if one of those guys moves, 
I'm out of here. I'm serious. She tore that paper off and handed it to me. Absolutely blank. Behold, all things have become new. Honey, that may not be your miracle, but that was my miracle. That was God letting me know. You just keep coming this way. You just keep coming this way. You just keep, come on, somebody. Clap your hands and shout with a voice of triumph. There's more miracles in this house. alcoholic symptoms in the liver. You had 70% chance of dying. I said, but you're as good as new. Thank God. And then I said, man, I need to, I need to work on my credit rating. It's 666 minus. Dude, I'd been kicked out of every single apartment, house, everything I'd ever lived in. You know those kind of van houses where you haven't paid mo- uh, rent in months and they're shutting the water off, shutting the electricity off. They're thinking, man, how are these guys living in there? Oh, trust me, we know how to live in a cave. 50 ways to cook a potato. I've been there. And so I called this place, Equifax, Transamerica. I called them all up. I said, this is my name, this is my social security number, just send me whatever whatever I got to do, I'll make it right. They sent me back a report, absolutely blank. Ladies and gentlemen, I did not come here to waste your time. I did not come to insult you by going through the motions. I'm talking to you about a gospel that is the only gospel known to man that produces real miracles, real signs. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody shout. Can somebody remember that God brought you out with a mighty hand? That God brought you out with the miraculous? That God brought you out with a demonstration? No, we ain't even stopped. Come on, somebody shout. Somebody give him praise. There's miracles all over this house. Just remain standing. In fact, there's people here today. I am going to tell you that before it's all over, that this apostolic doctrine is going to empty entire buildings that have been known for several hundred years by a certain denominational persuasion. This is the fastest growing movement in the world, not just because it's experiential and because when it gets to Scripture, no matter how defined you want to be with the the level of hermeneutics, it stands the test. But God is wanting to do the impossible.
perform the miraculous today. Signs and wonders that take on human form in a human name. That you will be forever changed, forever touched. Let's lift our hands. There's people that are visiting with us here today that you came here. Probably more out of curiosity, but God said, no, 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 no. There's a time and a purpose to all things under heaven. It's by the purposes of an almighty God that you're here. And so we want to invite this entire congregation down to the front of this altar. And let's begin to seek God and see what God will do. Come. If you're visiting with us, you're welcome to come. If you've been here several times, you're welcome to come. The Holy Ghost is going to do what the doctor can't do. Going to do what a psychiatrist can't do. Going to do what human intentions can't do. Going to do what nobody else can do. Come on, this altar is open. Come. Why don't you bring somebody by the hand? Come on, church, find somebody. Let's pray for somebody. By the authority of the name of Jesus. We believe. We believe in your power, you're the God of miracles, signs and wonders, we believe The beginning of mir miracles was changing water into wine. Come on, somebody. Put your hands in the air and say, God, here I am. 